Hello and welcome to Mind the Time, our weekly podcast where we take a look at a year chosen by our special guest. I'm joined as always by my friends Brandy Mahan. Hello everybody. And Sean Kerry. Hello, hello. How are you Hi. doing, lads? Very well. Glad to be here as always. Lovely stuff. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Ditto. We are joined by our guest this week, a man who has over 30 years broadcasting experience, best known for being the producer, presenter of Lesser Spotted Ulster, Lesser Spotted Journeys and Ulster Giants, none other than Mr. Joe Mahan. How are you doing, Joe? I'm very well. I'm delighted to be here. Thank welcome. You welcome. Thank um, you for the applause. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, everyone gets it. Don't worry. Everyone gets it. <laughs> it is an absolute pleasure to have you here, Joe. We actually have another accolade uh, that you're the father of our co-host, Brendy. Hello. Hello. One of your greatest achievements. He was willing to admit that, was he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to wait. They were about half an hour in, and then just kind of go. By the way, Joe's my father. Just in case yeah. you could. I'm going to call you Joe for the sake of the podcast. I think. That's quite Daddy call doesn't sound too good. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> we're going to call you Daddy. Uh, for the rest uh, of the so Joe, you're an explorer of people and places. Uh, today we're going to explore the year 1975, a year with Rubik's cubes, eight tracks. And a year that people were afraid to go under the water, which we'll get to you after. Oh, uh-huh. 1975. That was Jaws, it was indeed. Spoiler. Sorry for letting that you So there was a lot going on that year. Margaret Thatcher became the first female political leader in Britain. Bill Gates and Paul Allen founded Microsoft and the Vietnam War ended after the fall of Saigon. Uh, A lot going on in Northern Ireland, which there always was. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a couple of IRA ceasefires. Uh, Even after that, there was a lot of killings in the dawn. And then there was like the Miami Shoban killings, uh, a lot of dark times. But within the madness and dark times... uh, lifestyle goes on and people go about their everyday lives and so 1975 Joe where were you in 1975? Well 70, 1975 was a significant year I should say first of all and uh, I like to think that, that I chose the year but but I know rightly my, my wife would have been annoyed if I'd chosen any other year because that's the year that I got married and that's the year, <laughs> that's the year all of this started you know? mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Guilty Guilty <laughs> so, uh, Well 1975 I mean I was at the time, I was teaching at St. Peter's up in Craigan, and I was actually living up in Craigan because that's that's where I came from. I lived up in Craigan all of my life. Even at that point, before I got married, I was still living in Craigan. And um, that's where I started off. Not quite true. I started off 1951. And I'm just suddenly conscious, 1975, none of you guys were around. We weren't. Hey, no, no. I can say nearly anything I want. You can. Be like, oh, we always tell that to the guests. But we anyway. say there'll be no fact-checking. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'll try and stick to the facts as best I can. But um, I actually was born, believe it or not. No, I'm going to tell a lie right away. I, I always say to people, I was born in uh, Magazine Street, inside the Dairy Walls. Right, yeah. uh, four upper magazine street and a, a tenement flat at the very top of this big townhouse, wedged between um, First Area Presbyterian Church and the uh, Prentice Boys Memorial Hall, yeah. down from Walker's Pillar and just up a wee bit from, from Butcher Gate. You know, so I was like born in the middle of monuments, mm. you know, historic monuments, if you like. Uh, but the truth is, I was born in the Waterside General Hospital. But you know, you, you don't say. As we all were. You don't, uh, if anybody asks you where were you born, you don't say I was born in the Waterside General Hospital. Because yeah. no, no. we were all very boring births. So uh, they were all born mostly in hospitals, you know. So, uh, but 
uh, within a year and a half, now I have no memory of loving on, on a magazine student loving my mother will fill in all the blanks for me or did fill in all the blanks for me. We moved to Craigan. So we moved to Melmore Gardens. We moved then after when I was about 12 up to Southway. And then when I was 18, the family moved over to High Park. So we had three, what you would call, upwardly mobile moves. You know, we went to a better house each time, but we were still in Craigan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and whenever I um, eventually came back after college, teacher training and all that kind of stuff, lived with my mother and her and the rest of the family again in 18 High Park. And I, I was teaching in St. Peter's around the corner. You know, it was, it was kind of weird in a way because I, I was certainly teaching a lot of the youngsters who's older brothers at least I would be playing football in the streets with mm. uh, and didn't get any bother with and so on and here I was now I mean you gotta remember like teachers starting off or what 20 uh, what age, 20, what age were you three. well I was born in 51 and I right. started teaching in 73 that made me what 22. 22 years of age you mm-hmm. know so mm-hmm. I wasn't that much older than some of the youngsters you're just a young fellow well I thought it was very mature but of course you know other people would tell you different you know but mm-hmm. it was kind of weird um, you know, being, I thought there would be bother. You know, a lot of teachers, in fact, a lot of my colleagues were saying, you love, you love in Craigan around down there, you know. And they couldn't wait to get away from Craigan at the end of the day because a lot of them came from outside the town and things like that. And they thought it was kind of, didn't want to be living amongst their pupils. Yeah. But I never had the slightest bother, you know. I had, in fact, it was young folks used to come round to our house at night to, for me to help them with, a, with their homework, you know, for the, ah, the teachers yeah. gave them. And I've never really got any abuse for it. Uh, I don't know if the youngsters were better behaved in them days or not, but... Um, I'd say probably, to possibly, be honest. I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it was... When I first started teaching there, it was it was um, the first year, or maybe the second year that St. Peter's was open. Before that, it was the Christian Brothers Brewery that held down Mackey Road, you know. Uh, and yeah. the school moved up to Craigan, this brand new school that was built up there. And um, I think it was built for 750 pupils. And the year that I started teaching, there was 1,150 wow. pupils. Wow. So lot. it was way oversubscribed. Not only that, the year I started, there were 14 other brand new teachers <laughs> started in the uh-huh. same year. Right? <laughs> I mean, when I say brand new, look at wet behind the ear, straight out of training college or, or wherever, you know, all starting at the same time. So it was a recipe for mayhem and chaos, you know, of a sort. But it was, a, a you know, one of my first memories, it was a very cheerful place. Yeah, yeah it was good. It was, you know, and the teachers, generally speaking, Got on really well with the with the youngsters as well. They all they all. Um, you still get stopped by students here sometimes, even when I've been out with you. Oh, like students I, I, here. I mean, I mean, one of my very first year I taught, very first class I had, it was a class of there were forty two in the class. Wow, <laughs> that's how bad it was. Yeah. And I was like, as I said, not much older than most of them because these were pupils who, for the very first time, they brought in something called uh, Rosla. Right, Rosla is an acronym for raising of the school leaving age. Right. Oh. So the year before, you could leave school if you were fifteen at the end of your fifteenth year. Suddenly, the government says, "Not nah, that's too soon. We're going to have to stay on until you're sixteen. Right. So these, all these guys who have been expecting to leave more or less at the end of fifteen, suddenly had to go back to school for another year. Oh, they shut well, the system. It wasn't that sudden, but it was sudden to them. Yeah. You know, then they had to come back into school again. 
so you know, you imagine what it would have been like if you were fifteen looking forward to leaving school and mm. what to do another year. Yeah. And you were ready to leave school, you were ready to go. What else are you gonna take on next year? Mm. You know, you just you just want to see the door. Well I, I was I don't know, I was given a class called language development for this crowd of forty two, fifteen year olds, you know. Right. And uh, I had I was inspired, I don't know how it was the first and only time I was teaching. Uh, I said, right, um there were there were about one mixture. And this, from all over the place, a lot of them for Craig and so on. For how I got into the story, I was going to say, you said to me, Ren, you, know, you still meet guys that. Oh, I, I, so there be a few times you've been stopped by people. A I. number of guys in that class, in my very first class I had, uh, I still know them well. And one of them was, believe it or not, Jim Walker. Oh, right. You know, Who does, does yeah. the music for Lester Spot of Ulster? Great music for me for 30 years. Great musician, the Jaywalkers band. He still does the music for me, you know, and. Um, it was at the time um, I hadn't a clue what to do, so I said, right, "Language development? What, what even is that? You know, like English? What is it?" Mm. Uh, as I say, I was inspired because I had this idea of doing a magazine because I found an old Gestetner or rolling machine that you could print off pages down the stairs in the office, and nobody cool. wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Right, okay." Um, I'm going to, I just said to these guys, right, we're going to do a magazine, you know, and I need people who do different jobs in the magazine. What are the different jobs? So, I had an editorial team, I had a printing team, I had a sales team, right? And I had illustrators and I had writers and scribes. So, some people, I said, who's all the best writers in the class? And, oh, Chase Porteous and so and so. And Kevin Hassan was a character. You know, Kevin Hassan, Derry Boxside artist. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, right there. Eh? He was, a, and Jim Walker was the other. Cartoonist, they were mm-hmm. both brilliant. Wow, really funny cartoons, and uh, so everybody got jobs to do. We teams, you know, and by and large, it worked very well. Mm. The rest of the staff were mostly impressed, you know, because they expected these guys to be burning down desks. Uh, right? uh, <laughs> uh, so that was that was a good start. I went downhill from there on. <laughs> I have to say, you know, but yeah, yeah, I still meet guys who, who go back to those days. Yeah. Remind me, of, you know, lots of other guys I could meet to probably tell you. I remember how far worse days than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, that was it was um, it was a good start, yeah. you know, and I, I enjoyed it. And uh, I must—I mean, I stayed in St Peter's for I think it was from that was nineteen seventy-three and eleven. Well, maybe I thought it was longer, but probably eight years or thereabouts. Then I, then I left, you know. But um, uh, there were good, very good times as, as well. It's like it was tough as well, you know, in some ways. But great staff. Great people. Yeah, would it, would it have helped a lot that there was 14 others there starting off new help for you, that you weren't just the only one just coming in fresh? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, none of us felt good about the fact that there were 15 brand new mm. teachers. Do you yeah. prefer somebody with a bit more experience to kind of guide you? Uh, well, a thing, all right. I think so. I, I mean, a lot, a lot of us were... Um, I mean, I've gone and in to Queens to do a dub ed, you know. I mean, I've already gone to Dublin, done my degree in Dublin, and to be honest with you, I did not know what to, what to do mm-hmm. after that. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to go back home, you know, mm. uh, for all sorts of reasons, and won't go on doing. I should have done possibly. I said, no, I was kind of get, getting used to university from then and really I twigged in my third year, do you actually have to study? I said, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, right, I'll, I'll go and do a teaching thing. It was a dubby in Queens that I'd gone on to and, and I did that. And it was funny, I mean, I, I then started taking study seriously and I started taking teaching seriously because I didn't really want to be a teacher up to that point. I don't mm. even know if I wanted to be a teacher at the end of the, the dubby you know. But I really enjoyed or got something from all the courses and you know, t- child development and mm-hmm. psychology and things like that and the different theories of education and 
and um, I, I sort of I still retain a lot of those in my head, mm. I suppose. But um, it's funny, <laughs> I was uh, coming towards the end of, of the, that year in Belfast, and in teacher training at that bed, you had to do two stints of teacher, actual teaching practice, right? So I had to choose and arrange it for yourself if you could. So I arranged four weeks for myself in St. Brackens, just up the road mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And then six weeks in St. Peter's. And the four weeks in St. Brackens, I was just amazed how much I learned watching really good teachers. Uh, uh, I remember particularly up in St. Brackens, Dermot Logue. Oh, I know Dermot. You know Dermot? You went to St. Brackens, didn't yeah. you? Uh, Sean, Sean's top old boy. Dermot was my uh, history teacher. Well, you were lucky. He was fantastic. Wouldn't he bring it? I mean, I just learned watching him. I'm just amazed. You know, he, yeah. Dermot was, um, uh, whatever he was doing, there was drama involved in it. Did he have you out doing an act? Oh, yeah. Reenacting yeah. something <laughs> in the front, you know, and he taught history through, through, yeah. through drama, through activity mm. and action and so on, you know. And uh, I mean, the youngsters just uh, thought he was brilliant mm-hmm. as well. Making it enjoyable. Making it enjoyable and making it understandable. Um, and also, I mean, he also had a kind of a, an ethical approach to it as well. He wanted them to understand their rights and he wanted mm-hmm. them to understand, the, you know, the, 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 the kind of, the, as, you know, the, if you like, working class people from an estate had certain should have certain aspirations and should not take this that or the other kind mm. of kind of uh, um, uh, forms of oppression, economic oppression. You know, probably Dermot, quite a strong socialist at, at the same time. You know, but, but not preachy. You know what I mean? Yeah, not mm-hmm. yeah, not ever saying here's my politics. But he was, he was trying to. Yeah, I think get get the young people to understand that you know, how they should have. Mm. A dignified existence and have proper rights. Not they limit themselves just because Not of where they're from. Exactly. Uh, and do you know who else told me the same thing as you saw on there now, just recently, a couple of years, well, not a couple of years, but actually, but maybe a year and a half ago, I was interviewing Lisa McGee for, you know, the Derry Gear. Oh, right, that's right, yeah. everybody else. I was interviewing you. No, but it was not TV, it was up on McGee. Yeah. It was one of these uh-huh. we had an audience around, you know. And, and I was asking her, I said, did, did you have, where did you go to school and who was, who was your, and she says, oh, Dermot Long. And she just immediately wow. went on the other okay. I says, God, I, so was I. I was, you know, I was nearly dying with her then to give the, give, give more proof uh, to than she was. You know? uh, but he, I learned that uh, an awful lot from him. And people like Colin Donaghy and the Marauders as well. And suddenly when I went to St. Peter's, it was Paddy Doherty. He was, you might remember, he was called Paddy Quiz, Fuzzy Paddy. He died a few years back, even though he, he ran the whole quiz scene. And he right, wrote, okay. wrote all that in the journal. Apart from that, he was, he was, um, he knew every single one of those 1100 youngsters by their first name. I sorry, that was my phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, um, uh, many other teachers there that, that, that uh, I suppose that before the 15 of us arrived, if we felt like the following year, and towards the end, and my mother was always saying to me, like, go and ask Brother Mons if he got a job there next year. And uh, and uh, I said, well, okay, I'll ask him, you know, and Brother Mons, like, was the headmaster at the time. And uh, he was kind of unapproachable, you know, he was like, don't, don't bother me, kind of mm-hmm. at that stage anyway. So my last day, I left and I said, uh, almost said, my mommy says, can I, he says, I said, what's the chances of an job here next year? Oh, well, just, just to apply in the usual fashion, you'll find out, you know, sort of, 
dismiss it. I go four weeks before I was in. So I'm back to Queens and the usual crack, just carried on being a stupid student. And towards the end of the year, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, and my mother was, you know, writing to me and saying that Father McLaughlin was saying that he's on, you know, he knows somebody on the board and maybe you should apply now. And uh, and then I said, right, okay. And I didn't, you know, get back. This is when you phoned home. You've no mobiles in the end, you know, mm-hmm. phone box. But anyway, this thing arrived in the post was an application for him for St. Peter's, you know, for a teaching job. I never filled it in, you know. And I told my mother I did. <laughs> I sent it and she never know got the job or not you know? yeah. and uh, and then I got a letter from I think from Father McLaughlin he says uh, he sent another application for him and he says in case you didn't get the last one when you fill this in and sign and send it I didn't send that one on either <laughs> and a few weeks later I got another letter and the posted your application has been successful <laughs> 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 you were getting that job whether you wanted it or not yeah whether you wanted it or not you know yeah uh, so anyway, that's that's what I was doing. So it's a very long one that no, I did. I probably would have been thinking at that time, uh, what happened to the other fifteen people that you were replacing? Well, <laughs> we wonder. Was one of them my my worst day? My godfather was actually your mate from St Pete's, Pat Boyle, who taught in yeah. St Pete's as well. That's where you met him, isn't it? He's now yes. my godfather. Yes. Pat Boyle was one of them. I mean, most of them, these were new teachers. They weren't replacing anybody else. You know, this was additional, right. additional stuff. Yeah, which well, sounds like he's needed them with a the motor. Oh, I, <laughs> no, as I said, I mean, a lot, I, I only, if you like, stuck it as the word, nearly going to use only stuck it for seven or eight years, whatever it was. But I stayed that length of time and had other horizons, if you like. But um, I had nothing but admiration, still have nothing but admiration yeah. for the guys. They taught for years and years and years after oh. that. You know, they're, they're Pat Boyle is one of them. Mm. Pat's still a very good friend. He taught a few of my friends lot, much, yeah. much later. Well, there's Pat, Pat Boyle and very recently the late Terry Phillips. That's right. Uh-huh. Although Terry wasn't there in that first uh, intake of mm-hmm. he came from Oma. Uh, Eddie Dobbins, John Hunter. Um, these are all guys, they, they made, they made, the names might be nothing to you, but you know they were kind of legends in, uh-huh. in, in mm. education. Sure, sure they'll mean a lot to many. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. <coughs> Tommy McCulley is another one, Springs to Mind. Tommy's still the, um, doing the rounds as well, you know. I mean, all of them now would be long retired, mm-hmm. obviously, you know. Mm. So did you have any, like then in 1975, did you have any aspirations then for your future career of what you've gone to now? And I suppose making that magazine and all, you've maybe got a wee bit of a feel for this is something that I want to get into? or No, 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 no not well, I don't know. I mean, I had sort of probably, I mean, I, I, I find... Uh, what age did I say I was to 10, 20, I mean, 22 year olds now are far, far more mature mm-hmm. than I was then. I can say that honestly uh, because I loved what you would call um, the kind of life that lets things happen to you rather than something planned or, mm. or you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you're completely irresponsible, but nonetheless, you know. Is that where I got it from? <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, in a sense, you did get it, Brent. Oh, I, and I'm definitely because, never because, been exactly. No, but I, I, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but we were never uh, on at our kids to say, you have to be this. Oh, no, to do that. definitely not. No, Whatever they wanted to be. There was certainly encouragement, and but yeah. no, there was never like, you're doing this, and this is what you're going to do, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. I know a lot of people like that, do you know what I mean, who, who have ended up doing yeah. and a lot of them ended up miserable because they're doing something that they didn't want to do exactly you know yeah. what I mean well I mean I think uh, the luxury of choice would be a good thing yeah most people mm-hmm. don't have the, the, that, that kind of luxury and a lot of us spend time doing things that we just find really drudgery and 
and recognise perhaps you know this is not really using my, my no. abilities or my talents or whatever you know that's I the mean, case for most people to be perfectly honest I think if you can end up doing a job that you are using your, your talents and what you love to do you're a very very lucky person well, yeah, there's, you know two, what I mean? there's two things I always say about that one is that the job in that case then is a way of earning your livelihood mm-hmm. right? like if you do certain tasks and you paid certain money and that's fine mm-hmm. but you need outside of that well you guys are a perfect example of it you need lots of outlets a creative outlet creative, and, uh, exactly. uh-huh. and very very much yes. satisfying yeah. a passion project not just a whatever uh, you know. but uh, I started off talking about I better finish this off now because then I'll shut up for a while <laughs> 1975 the year I got married I write enough yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, one more thing one, one more wee story about school before before um, well, I'll, I'll keep that for later because it's got to do with music. Right? Okay, we'll get back to that. But in 1975, I married um, a woman called Philomena Cassidy. Phil Cassidy, she was, was known for Mahara. And she was... Ooh, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> half Mahara. I always knew it. That's why me and Fanta Boys got on. He's a countryman uh, too, you know. It was great. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time when, when we were in our curtain days, you know, down in Mahara, getting to know her big extended family all the boards and a lot of them and uh, we had great great people and, and a lot of my absolutely adored you know remember our uncle Richard and Big Richard Big, big Richard, Richard and Wee Richard and they were both huge well Big Richard was about, only about 6'5 Wee Richard was about 6'7 yeah. wow Wee <laughs> Richard was the son and not just tall but broad uh, uh, remember my man saying that's Wee Richard mm. I says what's Wee about him <laughs> <laughs> and her uncle Mickey and I mean, anyway the whole extended family became, you know obviously became our family as well you know and uh, the real reason I married her in fact apart from the fact that she was dropped dead gorgeous and looked at Jane Fonda right mm. but her mother is was the best cook ever. There you go. Uh, yeah, by far. <laughs> so we used to go weekends, I was like, oh, head in my hand was well. <laughs> Rubbing your tummy. You went knife and fork. I'm not kidding. I mean, she was brilliant, you know. I mean, Phil's a good cook as well. But uh, I mean, I mean the, down, on, down there, you got, yeah, I mean, she was, she had worked as a, as a young uh, teenager herself in a hotel, you know, and watched this hotel and learned all of the, Mm-hmm. All of the tr- tricks of the trade of cooking, and but she was fabulous cooking. And not only that, her father also grew all his own vegetables mm, and fruits right, uh, in his gardens. You know, that, and uh, he was he was a superb gardener. It was between the two of them. He was a big man himself too, wasn't he? Tall. He was. Uh, I think I think that you took your tall. My height from him. Uh, him. He was tall, surely. But. Um, no, I think that 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 whole the, the funny thing about the actual wedding day itself, and I'll definitely shut up after this. Sure, <laughs> podcast. You're the guest. You're <laughs> we we uh, um, well, I, all my crowd, all my extended family, and they're huge as well. Came from Derry, and all hers came from Mahara. So we said, look, it's not fair to let have to all the Derry ones travel down to Mahara because. Uh, even in 75 not everybody had cars you yeah. know what I mean yeah. uh, and I, I said maybe a big bus would bring people up from Mahara and and again we, let's, I said let's pick somewhere neutral let's pick a spot in the middle it's equidistant we're very bad at reading maps because we picked Ballykelly you know Drummond <laughs> which is much well, left ages away from Mahara uh, still had yeah. travel enough yeah. but the point was I said we were worried about how's all these different people you know which one going to get on at all you know we hope hope it gels on the day because they wouldn't have known each other just for the wedding itself just for the wedding oh, reception right, sorry uh, the actual ceremony was in Mahara mm-hmm. but um the uh, the two families, as I say, my mother and father had been down and met and met Phil's mother and father, and got on famously. But the rest of them were, were um, 
country versus city type mm. thing, you know. And when they arrived on the day, as it turned out, my uncle Charlie, oh, these are all gone, these people now, my uncle Charlie, my uncle Paddy, uh, my father's two brothers, had both played for the 1947 Derry GAA team that won the uh, the um, All Star Championship. No, it wasn't even the All Star. It was it was the 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 league final. Do you remember the, the yeah. league cup final? It used to come, but it's not the All Ireland final. It was it was a different. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it was called. Like the league cup, as opposed to the FA Cup kind of thing. Nineteen forty seven, Derry famously won it, mm-hmm. right? and the two of them had been on the team, and they walked into the hotel. And they were, Charlie, Jesus, Charlie Bourne. Charlie Bourne was Phil's uncle, and he was the main goalkeeper on the same team. Oh, right? wow. And they, they, didn't even they know. had not seen each other since, like a you few know, decades later. But Charlie Bourne and Charlie Mahan were respectively uh, goalkeeper and sub goalkeeper. And Charlie never got playing in the final because Phil's uncle Charlie, who was, by the way, Mickey Moore's uh, father. You know, Mickey Moore, Mickey Moore of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the first time that they met, you know. And uh, and, and Charlie's biggest, Charlie's a big, big, big man. He was a good goalkeeper, but he never got playing in the final. And uh, I says to him one stage, Mickey not, uh, or Charlie not let you on, you know. And I says, he said, no, them boys would have played him because he's from Maharabi, broken arms and nets before. Uh, yeah. We dairy boys. Anyway, so that's, 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 no, that's a good one. There you go. Mm-hmm. And is a good nothing like uh, the GA to bring together the city and the country yeah. like for, yeah. for, for an occasion like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, the Mahans were big GA people oh. way back in, in Derry in, in the city itself. You know. mm-hmm. So did Phil move up then? Uh, was it 19? So was she living in Mahara? Or? No, she was already she was already living in Derry because she was nursing in Abney Galvin. Right. And then well, she was a, she was a, a midwife. And then shortly after we married, she became, she went to a bit of study and did a course and became a health visitor. And uh, before too long, she was nearly on the show. She was, she was, she became a director of Foyle Trust and, uh, and um, probably really, really senior nursing and not the sort of no social care and everything else. Uh-huh. So she ran her own directorate in the Foyle Trust and wow. for wow. years. Mm. Uh, top, top job in management. In fact, kept me. Uh, yeah, in my in my uh, more precarious situations, quite often. You know? I remember some one of them. I think you were getting interviewed. Somebody was just chatting to you or whatever, and they said something along the lines of, "What's what? What has been the key to your success in the kind of TV making and stuff like that?" And you said jokingly, obviously, but you said, "Marry a woman with a good job." You know what I mean? Seriously, that was that joke not much. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where whereabouts would you? Where what have been the local? The local pub in Derry at that time. Uh, well, in Derry, probably very well. There's two places that we would uh, life before and after marriage, if you like. Uh, the Gidwar Bar was still uh-huh. one of the main places, and uh, the Castle, to an extent, uh, when it was owned by McCafferty's way back, Brian McCafferty owned it. But when Phil and I started going out, we started going to music pubs because she was great, uh, very fond of music. And she would, um, we would go to, well, at the time, I was actually, for some strange reason, secretary of the Derry City Social Club up in Bishop Street. The, the strange reason was Paddy Doherty, how I mentioned earlier, one of my colleagues teaching. He was he was the chair of the social club, he was a big Derry City man. And um, he was, um, he got me to become secretary. And, and the Derry City Club, that was the, the, the centre of Derry's music scene at the time, believe mm. it or not. Mm-hmm. 
because I had all live music at the time was played in, in lounges and pubs and clubs. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Derry City had, you know, huge big attendance. Look, there were hundreds there every every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and so on. And all the groups, the best music we we would consider those things. You know, they're all they're all cover groups, very very mm -hmm. But um, yeah. you know, there was the Coasters, there was the Guinness, there was Jerry Anderson's group. You know, Toad Jam, Colin Marbuckle, and those guys. And that's what you want to hear. You're, you know, and they were absolutely brilliant. You know, looking back now, and still, yeah. still, you know, they're all great musicians and and very very good singers. And we became very friendly myself and Phil with uh, quite a few Desi Dillon, um, who, who the Dillon brothers, Sam Dillon, Desi Dillon, uh, Seamus Boner, and the Coasters and Billy Boner played the drums. A lot of families mm -hmm. in that sense, you know. And um, we became, as I say, very friendly with with Desi. Sadly, gone a long time ago now, but I mean, he was a fabulous singer. You know, I mean, he just could. And I, I say fabulous singer. You guys, I mean, he wasn't a screamer, shouter, like hard rock stuff at all. But he would, he could sing um, nearly anything. Mm -hmm. He would be a crooner. Um, think of James Taylor mixed with Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that that was that was where we uh, th that's where we hung out. Yeah. And we went, you know, and we impoverished ourselves going to see these these groups or, friends <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and it was always in a pub lounge, you know. Yeah. Actually, it doesn't. It sounds like a bit rough and ready, but we felt very sophisticated, you know, because mm -hmm. you were you were going to really good uh, sessions. Uh, I mean, that that was on that that side. When I said it divided into two, there was also you know the Irish music uh -huh. scene, which we we I got into in Dublin and so on. So we, whenever there was a, you know a session or a fly or something like that, we had to go to those as well, where we where we could and so on, you know. I, I just read there, <coughs> Horselips had played in Muff that year, yeah. 1975. Yeah. Uh, in a Is that how long? Are they going from 1975, Horselips? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're going before that because, believe it or not, this is me name dropping, seriously. I uh, knew Barry Devlin and Jim Lockhart at UCD. Wow. Before, as they were just forming. Mm, My gosh, you know. Again, never knew that. <laughs> You've learned a lot. Well, no, you know, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying we're best buddies. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. but they were well known around the crowd. Mm -hmm. that, that, uh, I mean, Barry Devlin was from um, Ardbow, you know, in the north. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, quite, the northern students at UCD tended to be a bit clannish, you mm -hmm. know. Oh, aye. Know uh, each other and so on, you know. But Lockhart went in was... was uh, uh, he, he, I knew him for different reasons. You know, no, but it wasn't Dublin wasn't that big a place back in those days. Oh. You know, so no, you get you get to know people quite well. But they hadn't quite made the the, the, the leap from playing traditional to horse lips, the, the electric stuff. Ah, mm. uh, yeah, fight with all good musicians as well. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, sorry, Vinton, what was the question you were asking there, or was that was it? That, that was where, where the local was, and uh, right. the, the local right. was the, the music houses. Mm -hmm. uh, so even even Omni music uh, mm -hmm. top tens at that time. Well, I don't know about year. top ten. I took the liberty of taking down, <laughs> and the list of albums reads unbelievably. Yeah. We hear this here. Um, where can I find it? Uh, so the basic of the year, this is all albums that came out that year, 1975. So you had Blood in the Tracks by Bob Dylan. You had Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. 
Wish You Were Here, Pink Floyd, and then at the Opera Queen, you had albums from the Eagles, Aerosmith, Neil Young, Roxy Music, David Bowie, The Band, ELO, Black Sabbath, The Who, Joni Mitchell, Paul Simon, Fleetwood Mac, Tom Waits, goes on and on and on. And that's music Absolutely. that's still listened to today. Oh, earlier today, I listened to Half Festival, yeah. I listened to Fleetwood Mac on the way over here, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I have to mention, sorry, your mother's favourite, well... She told me to mention because it was my favourite song at the time. Oh, from 1975, right? Let's hear it. 10cc. Oh, is, yeah. is, uh, is that what that was from too? God, I didn't know they were that old too. I didn't know they were that old too. That's a very romantic song to, to, to choose for your life. I'm not in love. But it's kind of an ironic title. It clearly is if you listen to the lyrics. I love that about love songs. They're all about breaking up and crying uh, and broken no, this, hearts. This, this one's a bit. It's it's based on um, you know me thinks the the guy protests too much. Uh, because, uh, yeah. said, just because I've got your picture on the wall doesn't mean that I you know what I mean. So I, I think that uh, no, I think she got it. It was a romantic song after all. It's a great song. I, I yeah. loved that song because it seemed a slightly novel at the time because it was a very intelligent use of something that was kind of still new in '75 with synthesizers. Uh, oh, I fuzzy sound in the background and so on. You know. Well, band mentioned their Roxy music would have been a big part of that too they sort of went from yeah. you know, in the 80s they brought a lot Sun, of kind of synthy stuff too brilliant band as well still listen to them but a lot of the songs that you would still like Brenton you probably picked up from us back oh, we were time. big fans of well the usual like James Taylor you mentioned a few of them, Johnny Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, um, Paul Simon. Paul Simon, Simon Garfunkel was always playing. And your Simon, Paul, Paul Simon, your more particularly liked as mm-hmm. well, you know. And um, the Beatles, the Kinks, all these kind of guys. Yeah, well, all that from the sixties, right mm-hmm. on through. So I should turn that for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the band, Joe. As long as it's not going out late, and somebody said, "Would you dry up for God's sake?" <laughs> no, it's not late. There's there's a, fa- a fine every time it goes off. So right, there is. Uh, I'm adding right. it up here. It's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get us a few pints Well, don't be feeling too bad because our host here had his phone ringing there last week too. So I didn't even. Read. It actually rang. It, it rang. Yeah, I didn't even read the text message just before it switched off. So we should be. <laughs> hopefully, it's not too, hopefully it's not too serious <laughs> help help the, another thing that year I also looked up I didn't get quite as extensive a list of movies but when I typed I got too excited that's why when I typed in 1975 movies the first two that came up the first two that I saw are still two of my favourite films of all time One Flew Over the Cookies Nest and Dog Day Afternoon Right. Same year, same year, uh, really? 1975. Well, according to Google, eh? well, I the, the, the film that I remember uh, in Phil, your mother, going to see in uh, London. I think it was his honour. Maybe I'm going this wrong. Was the Godfather? Right, uh, uh, that would have been around that. Or was uh, it Godfather? Two. Godfather two, I think. Godfather, actually, uh, yeah. I think yeah. first Godfather seventy two, maybe. I remember it was very, very long, and we were late for something that we had promised them, mm-hmm. and they weren't, they weren't best pleased. I know, you know. No, I know. You're, you're right, Ben. I think it was. I think it was first Godfather was slightly earlier. I remember my mad telling me a story. I don't know if she'd be telling this now, but <laughs> one of your very earliest dates, you had asked me mad to go to the cinema. And then you get down there and you realise you didn't have any money, so she had to pay you. <laughs> she would remember. Things. She would. And then and then she said, and then he fell asleep. <laughs> Still get the receipt. <laughs> Sounds about right. Oh, she wouldn't let she would never forget something like that. No. And, and, your, and, and your phone kept going off. I mean, well, <laughs> thankfully in those days you didn't have any phones. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> So, sport in those days, I mean, Derry City were in exile at that time. Derry didn't come back into the league day 1986. Was that between them leaving the kind of Northern League and getting put under the FAI? Was yeah. Is that right? I didn't see I didn't know yeah, anything about that either. Funny enough, um, 
I remember, I said earlier on that I got off relatively scot-free from, you know, verbal abuse from the, the young citizens of Craigan, mm-hmm. you know, when I was teaching at St. Peter's. Partly because, I suspect now, my younger brother, brother. four years, mm-hmm. was Kevin. Brenda Kevin Maha, you know, uh, And he, he actually got played one season with Derry City before they crashed out or were put out. And he was only like about 16 or something wow. at the time, but he was a wizard back in those days. Mm-hmm. He really was. Who did he play for then after? Oh, he, he played for... A lot of people. He had, he had quite a big professional career, but um, a lot of the senior players t- went off to other places. Harps and Cold. Dougie Wood went to Athlon Town and took Kevin with him. He played for Athlon Town, he played for Dundalk, he played for Cold Rain, uh, he played for New York Apollos a couple of years you know, wow. he took by mm-hmm. there. so he was over in New York for a couple of years um, and uh, at the time he said, he said believe it or not he says, most people haven't seen me play my best because I was super fit over there you know because right. I was full time professional in New York you know but um, he and a guy called Mike Mancini and somebody else called McCarthy were in almost the three M's for New York Apollos you know and the, mm-hmm. so it's played really really well over there but no, he was he was acknowledged to be like a good pro. Yeah. And uh, when he was when he was young and fit, thank God, he's just unbeatable up the wing. You know, he's yeah. just, just incredible. So I give you about a street cred in the, in the school. I couldn't play football; they saved my life. But, <laughs> uh, yes, you know, and uh, anybody said anything to me, I mean, I Kevin would be around. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he, was, he was a thick man, like, you know. Well, I've heard, I've heard a lot of stories that it went the other way too. Yeah. You got yeah. Kevin already a few gems. Oh, so it goes both ways. I don't think so. Then. <laughs> Not as much as it had worked in my favour. Yeah. Just as you mentioned Doogie Wood there. Yeah. So I would read earlier about four players from Derry who played for Athlone. Doogie Wood, Wood being one of them. Right. John Duffy, Andy Stevenson and Joe Healy. Yes. The only four Derry men to play in the San Siro. So Athlone Town played at AC Milan that year. Right. In the San Siro. They drew nil all in the first leg in Athlone. Athlone missed a penalty. Uh-huh. Um, went down to the San Siro. Lasted the 70 minutes at nil nil. Uh, AC Milan scored three then, which usually happens with these teams. Mm-hmm. But Athlone Town had only come into the League of Ireland in 1969. So it was only six years later and they're playing And was this like a San proper European UEFA Cup, UEFA Cup race? So it was a UEFA Cup game. And then I was reading about, so the Italian players coming over to play then and Athlone, total culture shock. Like, mm. You know, they're all, they're fine Italian suits and big yeah. coats and shoes and they're all just so glamorous looking and tanned. And then they stepped out in a rainy Athlone uh, and there's a cracker photo of the players coming off the bus holding up their trousers because it's just mud. <laughs> it's just mud everywhere. Uh, yeah. And then the Athlone, so there's 9,000 people squeezed under the, the, the stadium. stadium. And uh, St. Mel's Park. St. Mel's Park, that's remember, exactly yeah, it. Yeah. So they were all, the Thailands were all the AC Milan players doing their warm ups and totally out there stuff, you know, it was like everybody was just looking on in amazement. And then the Thailands' mouths dropped as a pipe band walked around the pitch <laughs> with a goat leading the pipe band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the most Irish funny. thing you ever heard in your life. Like culture shock, all right. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, you know, it rains and Italy and Spain and all these places as well, you know, uh-huh. so, so they're probably not that much, you know, put out bad. I used to wonder about that, you know, thinking, you know, it's been constant sunshine. You look at the TV, you see the number of times that they're playing through all sorts of, oh, uh, yeah, uh, all sorts of weather. Well, know. countries like that, they tend to get a lot of sunshine and then they tend to get floods or like extreme yeah. rain, do you know what uh, I mean? I remember the thunder and lightning storm I got caught in in Croatia. It was the most, most mental thing I've ever experienced in my life. I was lost, looking for our... I decided to go back from the bar early because I was, wasn't feeling well. And uh, 
I didn't know where I was going. I didn't realise this until I started walking. All I had was the key with a wee logo on it. And I was walking through, we're in Havar in Croatia, this wee island. And it was all built on a rock, a big mountain basically. And there was this wee kind of, all these wee alleyways and stairs, back alleys leading you through this wee place. And it was like crystal maze. So I decided to start walking back. And then I realised after about half an hour, I didn't know where I was going. <laughs> and then I started showing, I went to the police and showed them the key. It was like, do you know what? And they were like, that's a character. Do you recognise this key? No, no, they said, the policeman started laughing. They said, that's a cartoon character from like an old TV show, creation TV show. That's no help to anybody. Else. <laughs> you know that. But I had thunder and lightning. It was just constant and passing rain. Mad. But I just remember it there. After about three and a half hours, and a wee, a wee nap on some woman's porch, but I got there. <laughs> Trying doors. I uh, there. There it was. There it was. <laughs> it's nothing worse than being lost. Oh, it's nice. It really gets you down. Uh, I have no. My phone was dead. Mm. I didn't know the address. The two mates. The only way of getting in touch with the two mates was through my phone, which I didn't have. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I was just. I met this other group of Irish people. I was kind of walked. The, grabbing everybody walked past me going help me and everyone was most people were going go away who's this madman but I met this group of, they were from down south in Dublin or somewhere and I met them and I kind of explained the situation to them and I think they were almost it's probably worth mentioning at the time I was pretty drunk too so I'm just big, oh, yeah. big tall kind of guy beating about with a dairy accent like these people were kind of they took pity on me but they were I think a wee bit wary of me too and they were kind of look look we would, we would bring you back to our place but there's no room and I said no I don't want to come back to your place that's fine I'll find my friends and all blah 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 so that was grand I went on eventually I got home anyway and my two mates weren't back and they had a whole hand on they got back everything was grand a couple of nights later we went to this kind of island party out in this we get this boat from this island you go out to this wee island, our wee island and we're at this big island party and I just I'm standing in queue in the bar to get a drink and all I heard was is that Brendan? And I turned around <laughs> and it was this crowd of people there I met the other night and they were all, we are so glad to see you. We actually felt really bad after we left. We were like, well, we should have brought that guy home. Like what? I hope he's okay. And they were like, literally all hugging me. They, like, they were so bad. They, me. They, they were saying we felt so guilty. Do you know what I mean? Uh, very good. Uh, I remember at the time, you know, we were saying to your mother, are we wise living after doing holidays? I'd be grand. Be grand. Yeah. No it was three weeks after <laughs> we were in Europe. He's not getting lost. You know, you know. <laughs> oh, I got lost. All right. First night. Uh, <laughs> what age were you? Oh, no, this was like, I was like only about you were two years ago. Ah, no, it was maybe. <laughs> it was it? It was less. Last week. About 10 years ago, maybe, yeah. at the most. You know what I mean? So it was in my 20s. Like, it was grand. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you're plenty of sense, then. No problem at all. Well. <laughs> you know, I had a, a similar experience. I loved at a short stunt in Sicily. And That's right, you did. My friend and I, Anthony, we used to go out to, when we finally found some nightlife, we used to go to this nightclub. And uh, we had like a designated area where we had to meet if we lost each other. Because yeah. we only knew each other in the entire place. Like, And Smart. We didn't he have never, <laughs> when we got lost, he never went it. <laughs> and I would always return home and he'd be just lying in bed. <laughs> we had a pot of pasta beside the bed. But one, one night, one morning, actually, I woke up on a beach, just on a beach, <laughs> and I was going, what the hell, where am I? And I really didn't know, and I was coming up this, like, uh, lane, and i just seen all these stray dogs ripping apart rubbish, Jeez. rubbish bags, and I went, oh, shit, no, yeah, no. Gosh, this, this <laughs> is it, this is it. But funny enough, the, how I navigated home was, uh, I knew that the apartment was in the direction of Mount Etna. Yeah. which is the active volcano so I just like followed them the volcano 
And, and I then got, you end up going out, and then you're like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting warm. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, not much point in my designated area. If you can't even find it. No, I'm not afraid for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My Etna would have been a better designated area. If we get lost, we'll meet at the top of my Etna. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a pillar in the nightclub. Like, you could see it from <laughs> any part of the nightclub. He was never there. Uh, funny funny <laughs> enough, uh, we, we, were, we were in uh, the family holiday then, I remember this well. You know, quite a few years back now, and uh, we being told to decided to take the whole squad. You know, um, in-laws, daughters-in-laws, and sons-in-law, whatever it was. It wasn't a few daughters-in-law, but girlfriends and everything. The whole family over. Brendan was only about, I think, you were a young teenager. Where, where are you? Where were we going? We went to Portugal. Which time? We went to Portugal twice. Well, we had this big, big uh, kind of complex place with our own swimming pool and all. Ah, uh, with a wee like shelter out the back of the big long, the big long house, the place with the roof terrace. Yeah, uh. but uh, they were all. They were, me and Phil stayed in because we were we were minding. Uh, I don't know what we were minding. We we Kevin. It was a week here. Week heaven. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. the rest of them all went off to, you know, walk up through all these cornfields because we were, our, whatever hacienda we might call it, was down at the bottom of all of these sort of either vines or cornfields or something. And they had to walk up the main road and they were up in bars and uh, restaurants up there. Eventually came home, like singing down the road. Sideways. <laughs> I had said Brendan beforehand, he was, he was too young to drink. I was 16, coming 17. Yeah. I said, Brendan. <laughs> Keep you an eye on him, will you please, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you only want to get any common sense whenever they get drunk to you. And Brendan says, uh, right, I'm the designated walker. <laughs> yeah. They're all walking, whoop. And the sad irony of that story is, by the end of the night, I was walking, I was fit to walk nobody. <laughs> uh, well, you're still sensible compared to some of them. Well, that's true, yeah. We will not mention any names. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's no who he's are. <laughs> I, you actually, I remember you telling me a story. You heard you you were you me and I were lying in bed that night or whatever night it was, and we were all out, and you heard what you <laughs> he said. It sounded like like wild dogs are like shouting and kind of barking and screeching, right. and you can what the hell? And you're standing out in the driveway and everything, and you looked in the distance, and there was a crowd of your wings and, and their <laughs> significant hours. Going on down the road and singing with arms around each other, and you're like, "All oh, right, Jesus, uh, that was a great holiday." But it was yeah. good crack. Well, perhaps it was some, somebody came down with no shoes on. Do you remember that? How they go out the next morning to try and find the shoes along the field. That's right, uh, and I think somebody did okay. somebody fall? I think somebody fell in the ditch too, oh, and then somebody tried to get them out, and they fell in the ditch too. It's a good job they had a designated walker. With oh, them. I haven't said all that. It was a brilliant holiday. Uh, I'm still paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> economically and me- mentally <laughs> emotionally <laughs> and a couple of wee things we were going to add to it this week uh, prices of things in 1975 mm. had you Sean how much do you think a pint of beer was in 1975 a pint of beer pint of beer before inflation <laughs> uh, I'm going to like take a stab at like 15 pence oh you're not far off 22p jeez, jeez. was it only 22 pence I'd say there'd be a few stoshes. people say, say <laughs> then too yeah. there'd be no designated walkers for them prices let me tell you 22p for a pint of I don't even want to work out the percentage of how much that's inflated but I go back to pre-desmalization and what it was 22p you know that was that was what um that was 5 shillings or something was it st- even in the in the 70s would it have been shillings I'm trying to remember when. Oh, before that, right? Uh, Do you remember when this one? No. So these, these, these are signposts or big, big things that you have to have sort of um, 
signals, as it were, you know, what was what year was decimalization? Because everything before that was a different price altogether. You, right. you, could, you could look that up. Right? Or you could look it up very quickly, all right? Not that it matters very much now. <laughs> I remember when I first uh, started buying pints in a bar, it was 250 for a pint. Because mm, right. I used to get £10 pocket money, yeah. and it was four pints. Mm. That's all you've seen it as, four pints. Right. And it, but it did the job, like when mm. you're that when age. you're thirteen now. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, a job, mate. Uh, I know. Yeah. So nineteen seventy one was it decimated? Yeah, there you go, go. A couple yeah. of years, years before. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. So when I was in places in Dublin or something like that, I was it was paying well. Oh, it was punts. Punts. Yeah, I remember punts. I, <laughs> I was working in Dublin for the changeover from punts to euro. Right. Which was quite a confusing time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, because it was a kind of a sterling kind of system. Well, I had actually worked, and I was working in a shop in Drumahoe. I was mm. working in home base at the time, and then I moved to Dublin. So it was sort of starting, it started about six or eight months, maybe a year before getting used to it. So being on the border, you would have taken punts. Well, so there course, was the punts yeah, changing yeah. to sterling, and it was sterling to punts and euro. Uh, you three different currencies on the one, one I shop. Think, I think before that, I mean, you, you could, they were interchangeable. You know, you could just spend punts. And as long as you had money. it was. Uh, I always remember there was a wee calculator at the time for mm. working out the exchange, mm, rate exchange rate that everybody mm. had. They were posted out to everybody in the yeah. south. Yeah. Punts were massive, weren't they? Ah, uh, they were big things like where that you know, one punt was thing. like a plate. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember them being really big, like. And then another wee thing we're going to go for is uh, fact or pure lie. So I'm going to open okay. it up to the three of you. It's going to give three. So what's uh, you're going to give three? I'm going to give three right? supposed facts, but one of them is a lie. Okay, and which mm. one? Um, so the first one. Uh, Woman could open a bank account on their own in this year for the very first time, 1975. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses thought Armageddon was happening in 1975, and many of them sold their houses and their companies. Uh, spoiler alert, oh, yeah. uh, the world didn't end. Uh, and another one TVs uh, TVs were temporarily banned in Japan for fear of spreading the flu Hmm. all three could be true Um, I think the middle one's too crazy not to be true the the thing about Jehovah Witnesses uh, the Jehovah Witnesses Um, so one of them's a lie one of them's a lie. I'm going to guess. Just one's a lie. Only one of them? Just one's just a lie. Mm. Two of them are true. One of them's a lie. That's true. what we have to try. I'm on the same page as you. I'm going to guess that <laughs> the, 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 woman, the woman bank account thing was the lie. That's actually true. Ah, uh, sure. Is that true? That is true. I thought it would have been earlier than that. That's why I said uh, lie. I'm going to say the second one's the lie. No, third one's a lie. Japan, yeah. TV. See, the fruit. third just seems that ridiculous. Seem right at all. Like Japan it doesn't, no. Uh, but no, I thought it was like one of those things that's so crazy it could be yeah. true. Do you know what but I mean? Did you just pull out or did you just make that up completely? Pulled it out. <laughs> but I, I got a cold sore off a toaster once. So no that's just why. No <laughs> so in 1975 was the first year when we could open a bank account despite having their. Uh, father there with them. Seriously. And even if the woman earned more than the father. It didn't matter. They still had to have them to sign it off. Or yeah. husband. Or husband, of her husband, of course, yeah. yeah. Down with the patriarchy. Misogynistic or what? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. that's it. 
Good to see the things are changing. That's why she married me. And she probably, after the wedding, goes, Oh, Jesus, we could open the own bank account now, for God's sake. And uh, we were talking about Jaws, of course, at the start. Uh, people were afraid to go under the water. Oh, aye. Uh, what a movie. No. I was always afraid to go underwater. I just, I just confirmed everything I suspected. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely not going to die. It was a brilliant movie, wasn't it? it was yeah. Really, really, that was something else. I mean, at the time, nowadays, it's an old hat. Mm. Yeah. You know, because that's a, they go for much more. But it was very cleverly done. Oh, it still, it still, it still works. I watched it maybe not recently, but maybe a year or two ago. It's still quite tense and like you know, enjo- very enjoyable. Like good show. I think it's good actors and good music because uh, I mean, it was clearly a big rubber shark. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that big shark, that big shark weighed a ton of weight, <coughs> and they couldn't get it working half the time. So that's yeah. why in the movie, there's only one time that you can see the actual whole oh, shark uh, when it comes out because most of the more effective that way there was uh, really it, uh, it really worked out. As better. a suspense that you don't because the whole thing, the whole scary thing, I think about because I'm, I'm not like scared in water but I am quite wary of it and it's yeah. the whole thing of the unknown not knowing what's yeah. down there and yeah. not being able to see what's down there no, exactly and the if but I see weed touches your leg you go Jesus <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean I think the, the shark scene in it wasn't so much the shark as uh, do you remember the guy down at night in the head came out of the bottom of the uh, boat yeah. uh, I know give you the heebie jeebies the whole, the whole movie builds up I think that's what's great yeah. about it and yeah. that's <coughs> you don't get yeah. that anymore like, uh, yeah. 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 like yeah, that just was synonymous if we fear then after uh, that uh, people still do that to this day do you know fr- the brilliant performances from uh, what do you call him um, Roy Roy Shrek- what do you Shrek- call Roy Shader was the sheriff but, but um, I, he, everybody was overshadowed by uh, what do you call him ah, no, I, c- I can't get Robert, his name not Robert Richard Dreyfus was Dreyfus that's young, what I was young, trying to think young of young guy but the guy who one of my favourite actors of all time I can't even remember whose name was Kenneth Shane. He used to be a Quick TV Google. playing the Buccaneers. Uh, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. There Robert you go. Shaw. He was brilliant. Mm. And uh, I, I liked him. He first came to my attention on old black and white TV. There was a series called The Buccaneers. Yeah. And he was a he was the pirate captain. Mm. Uh, and he's just a character actor, always brilliant on it, you know. And he was great in that too. I thought, you know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, great performances. Mm. Uh, great performance by the shark as well, but it worked. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, of course. <laughs> that sort of set present for Steven Spielberg's career then, like. It was yeah. just had after had, like. Hat, really, wasn't uh, it? Was it, this it was, it was uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then Dog Day Afternoon we had mentioned oh, as well. Oh, like, Absolutely I, brilliant. I only, I've first seen it maybe about 10 years ago, but... Um, even watching a documentary then of the actual story like mm-hmm. you know actually it was a true story wasn't it yeah uh, it was it, also it was the very, film was done very naturally it was, very, it was brilliant yeah, uh, it was very close to the and they used a lot of I'd say it was very loosely from the, uh, they did the real crowd outside and all uh, I'd say it was very like loosely scripted too it was just mm-hmm. Al Pacino doing his thing absolutely amazing everyone in the film was brilliant too mm-hmm. you know what I mean but um brilliant story and really really well done amazing love it Dan, you won't believe this but you lent you lent that movie to me on DVD. That's why I brought it like, up, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice segue. This, the, this, uh, is why the the whole, this is why we're doing the whole podcast. Uh, it's just, a, it's uh, just to get uh, my, mind my the time DVD. you took my no DVD and you're back. Uh, no no bother, blockbuster. Uh, yeah. Ballbuster. <laughs> so you still got it? Do you, do, you remember, <laughs> do you remember giving it to me? I do know how to say it. Are you still have a DVD player? No. I think I actually still have it. You would need it. But do you know what it was? It was only a disc. 
It doesn't even have a cover. Oh, Jesus. You give it, you give it to me, and uh, I think it was a Polly Pocket or something. Mm, Jesus. So, oh, wow. plastic, plastic bag. Where were we drinking at the time? My house. Uh, uh, I'm taking a take a shot. Cling foam. Hello, I'll get that sort of fear. Yeah. <laughs> I have a number of things you end up with back from somebody's house the next morning. Oh, jeez. Oh, it was that long, was it? Pints were. So, um, I woke up by the traffic cones and street signs and all sorts of... Oh, I had a moment with uh, traffic cones. I remember I was living in Dublin at the time. I was yeah. living in Santry and we'd been out the night before. And I remember coming down the stairs the next morning and there was this flashing light in the living room. I thought we'd been fucking abducted by aliens or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You hung over and be a bit drunk. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those cones with a big... <laughs> Oh, right. like, like, flash, like flash of light, just flashing around the living room. My story of that kind was, uh, I remember, one of my earliest years teaching, I was in Peterson, I went on the staff do the very first staff do I was on. Right. And was all these boys, all these hardened drinkers, you know, the older teachers, you know, boys that you know, kind of, um, you, you, they were just drinking under the table. Mm. But I don't know, I was very foolish. And, and uh, we were in Keaveney's Hotel, down in uh, this is an old Cavenies Hotel down in Maville and we had a great night as far as I remember don't remember a whole lot about it at all but um, I remember talking to one of the guys up their reception desk in Cavenies you know they were really nice people in Cavenies they, they treated us very well and they had this big fancy like Swiss cowbell hanging up you know like, it was all brass and copper and you could just bring it and I was out a couple of times going eh, and, <laughs> and, uh, anyway I was grand I just, just thought nothing of it and I woke up up in Pine Park and Craig in the next morning stretched my leg out and he cling cling he stole the bell my God. <laughs> so one box of Cadbury's Roses and uh, <laughs> and a returned bell later you know and an apology and all that kind of stuff you know at least you brought it back that's well, yeah. it's what it is and sending cards in. I'm not even sure that I took it. I think somebody just you ended it up with uh, it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. Passing the blame that's, there. That's, that's the part I mean. <laughs> what do I mean? You know what? The, the cowbell the water ended up good for the designated walker. Maybe that day. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Make sure you know where the hair does. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we're just going to finish up with a wee question, if that's okay, Joe. Uh-huh. So if you could change anything about that year. Uh, or if you could bring one thing back, do you know, from that year, what would it be? Well, the, the, there's a wee story I was going to tell earlier on, and it's not quite from that year, if you don't mind, but it's from that uh, era. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was something that was a wee inside. I talked about living in Craig and growing up in Craig, and I could, I could give you anecdotes galore about, you know, the people, the characters, and even on One Street and Melbourne mm-hmm. Gardens, you know. But... Um, this is considered way earlier than 1975. This is probably uh, towards the end of the 50s. In fact, you know, about maybe 1950. I think I was about eight, seven or eight years of age. Living in Melbourne Gardens, and just to establish the geography a wee bit, that, you know, the streets in Craigan were kind of slightly run on parallels in the lower Craigan, you know. Mm-hmm. And we were in Melmore Gardens. All the streets were named after Donegal Headlands. So above us was Dunree Gardens. We were Melmore Gardens. And then there was the, uh, Dunhaf and so on, all the headlands. Um, but to get up to Dunree Gardens from, from our house, which is 21 Melmore, you walk down the street and up Greenwalk. You're probably familiar with No Greenwalk, Greenwalk yeah, yeah. And then up past what used to be the clinic and then up in Dunree Gardens. So it was kind of not quite parallel, but kind of that angle you know like kind of a, a, a kind of a um 45 degree angle but, but 
quite some distance away. So one night, my father says to me, and back in those days, of course, no TV. You had, you know, the radio. People were trying to get radio in Luxembourg, and that was the height of their entertainment. So far more men and women read, you know, magazines or books or whatever. So my father says, would you go up to your Uncle Tommy up in Dunree Gardens and ask him, has he any uh, westerns he could lend me? Uh, that he's finished with, you know, and uh, that sounds like a, a you know, innocuous enough kind of request. But this was uh, this was eight or nine o'clock on a winter night, mm-hmm. you know, it was as dark as it is out there now at the moment, and probably as cold. Not only that, you know, I was a slightly shy, retiring eight year old, and the very thought of having to walk up to Dunree Gardens in the dark, mm. and you've got to remember, there was like there was all sorts of scary things, like the wee white woman. And oh, things right. like that, yeah. haunting the place as of well. Course, right? mm-hmm. And there was no street lights in the way up. It was up through past the fields and up the hedgerows and up, up. And then uh, my uncle Tommy, like, I, yes, it was my father's older brother, but um, I kind of hardly knew him. He was always scared me, but he was mm-hmm. a bit stern, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I says, "Mother, uh, shot, James, will will you ah make a man of him?" And my father was all for that. Make a man. <laughs> Adversity will. will mm-hmm firm me up you know so I was hopped up in my gabardine coat and totally set off and I was too too um, too afraid not to or to make any protests because my father had been away working in England quite a lot and we came back and we were still you know, wary of each other uh-huh. you know what I mean so not quite don't know who this guy is but he's in charge you know anyway I went up and I was kind of walking around really uncomfortable really thinking oh god I wish I wasn't happy to do this you know up to me, Uncle Tommy's house, which I found eventually, because the streets were definitely much, much darker than they were now. Up to the door, took a lot of courage to do this, you know, banged on the door, and uh, eventually it came out, and the house was more or less in darkness again, because nobody burned electric light most days. If you could just sit in the house in the dark with a fire on, or a wee small lamp, that was it, you know, there were only 40 watt bulbs anyway. So he eventually came out and he looked up me and I says, uh, my dad says, have you any westerns uh, you can lend them that you're finished with? And he looked up me like out there and he said, wait, hold on a minute. And he went back <laughs> inside, gruff, always gruff talk, talking. And as I stood outside, for it must be five minutes. He might have brought me in at least. <laughs> and the hall or stand on there or something, you know, but he, he kind of, that was a rough manner about him, you know. So eventually he came out and, here you are. Uh, tell me to keep you, I'm punished with him now. He had me about half a dozen books and I go, Right, thank you. And I turned to walk away down the road and he says, Hey, is your dad anyway? What that taught me was not so much that, you know, we didn't know. Uh, I mean, to this day, I have to tell you this, I don't know if it was Uncle Tommy or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, I, I, you just had my books. I was with the wrong way. The fact is that somebody could send their strange, their young fella to a strange house mm. and actually mm. ask for something like that. People didn't find that strange. Yeah. No, they, they, yeah. would do, they would do things like that. You know, people swapped comics all the time. Mm. You know, people would not do people's houses and say, right, we got someone so will give you that for that. So, and and there was that much more neighbourliness, mm. that much more uh, spirit of um, helping each other mm-hmm. yeah. and, and also doing it freely and not expecting much in return, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. everybody was in the same boat. Nobody was well off. Everybody was in need. Uh, so books and things like that would have been easily shared you know, yeah that's, I just remember that particular story fondly mm. for two reasons one was terrified and secondly it had a good outcome yeah, you know yeah. I mean? 
Bring so that's that kind of sense of community is what you would yeah, what you would definitely. bring back. Uh, yeah. If I never knew where the books came from, because <laughs> as far as he's concerned, they came from the other side. <laughs> to this day, I don't know. You're not too sure. <laughs> no. Uh, Thankfully, I didn't want them back. You know? yeah, yeah, it's like my copy of Dog Day After. Some of that still persists. Joe, thank you so much. Uh, that has been absolutely brilliant. We could have done this so much longer. I know. Could have. Yeah, well, maybe get you one minute. No, no. it on and wrap it on. That's what you're here for. You're yeah, the guest. Exactly. Yeah. We, I always say to the people when we have guests on, and if the hour goes very quickly and it's done, I say, well, maybe we'll get you back on in our time. Yeah, have an hour always chat. Do you know what I mean? An hour for years or something. Seriously, a pleasure. I enjoyed the company and enjoyed the crack. And uh, well, probably I enjoy far too much listening to myself, you know. But hours all uh, too, don't I, I, I kept, I, I, I'm amazed that the, the hours gone. Oh, the hour yeah. went so quickly. Yeah, yeah. that's how enjoyable it was. Far too much. Then. Not uh, at all. Perfect amount. Thank you so much. <laughs> and again, thank you to Brandy. You're welcome. Thank and you very to much, Sean. Touche. Uh, <laughs> the podcast will be out weekly every Monday in 2024. Uh, follow us on our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, thank you very much and good night, everybody. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Good night. Buenas tardes. Thanks, Joe.